Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh. And tonight, we'll be taking a different kind of journey together. In tonight's episode, I'll be taking you on a tour through Greece, where we'll be visiting some of the most ancient temples that have stood for thousands of years and tell you the stories of the gods and goddesses for which these temples stand. Before we go, I wanted to take a moment and remind you that Planet Sleep is available on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're not following us on one of those platforms, do me a favor and take a moment and find the subscribe button or the follow button and hit it now. Before we embark on this grand tour through ancient Greece, I hope that you've been having a wonderful day. And if not, that's okay too, because luckily, things only go up from here. Take a moment to find somewhere to lie down or sit and take a load off. You deserve it. You've been working hard all day long, and now it's time to find some peace and quiet and allow yourself to escape to another place for a little bit. Close your eyes. Take some deep breaths, as deep as you can go, and just breathe. It's amazing what just taking some deep breaths will do. Allows your mind to calm down, your heart rate to slow down, and just allow yourself to open up to the journey that is ahead. Listen to the music and just breathe. All right, let's begin. From the highest mountains to the deepest waters, the ancient lands of Greece carry the mysteries of myth and history with its beautiful countryside and dense cities of historic and cultural beauty. Greece captured the imagination of the rest of the world. It thrived in a time when philosophy was only a seed and the concept of democracy was only a dream. And it took those ideas and planted them deep within its lands. Its cultural impacts have reached far and wide and its wildlife is no different. Greece is known for having some of the highest biodiversity in Europe. Hundreds of different mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians live in the region and over 5,000 types of flora cover the countryside. And between the beauty of nature and culture, thousands of years of history have grown, and some of it now lies in what's left of the stone ruins of the great temples. Through narrow roads bordered by rolling hills, you travel through the countryside of Olympia It's a small historic town on the Peloponnese Peninsula of Greece, south of the mainland. A series of stadiums, open fields, and archaeological centers surround the land. Here, Olympic Games were held every four years, from the 8th century BCE to the 4th century CE. And the sacred precinct of Altus was constructed nearby, a place dedicated to Zeus. The Greek god of thunder rules as king of the other gods, and the structures and temples of the area were built 
to honor his legacy. You pass through the ancient site where great competitions of strength and endurance used to take place, and you notice most of it lies in ruin. Between the sparse trees, the stairs lead to broken walls where rubble scatters across the grass. From what remains, you can guess what the buildings used to look like. Some nearby diagrams help you paint a picture in your head, but it's mostly up to you to imagine what this place looked like centuries ago. Within the dilapidated stone columns there used to be grand buildings. Statues, shrines, and artifacts were kept within their walls. The Greeks who once roamed the area were once dressed in elegant robes as they watched athletes throw javelins in the nearby fields. You imagine the weight of a great javelin soaring through the air and landing in the ground with a plunk. Onlookers clap from the sidelines as the ancient Olympic Games begin. Although it was once a lively place, it looks more like a graveyard now. But the rare architecture of what remains adds mystery. It takes a bit of effort from the modern visitor to imagine what it once was, especially when you come to the Temple of Zeus. Surrounded by shattered columns and makeshift stairs, you wouldn't know this was a temple for the King of Gods. A blank plot of stone sits near the dirt pass. A single column stands near its center, surrounded by debris. But luckily, history can help you fill in the gaps. The temple was once surrounded by nearly 34 stone pillars and several more along its aisles. It stood 68 feet tall, 95 feet wide, and 230 feet long. A single ramp led to the temple from the east side. It was a grand sight to behold, but there was just one problem. It was made of limestone, which was less attractive and of worse quality than marble. But limestone was the main construction material that was nearby. To cover up the temple's cheap construction, the builders covered it in stucco to give it the appearance of white marble. But its roof was made of a thousand real marble tiles, and they were cut so thin that during the day, the sun's light could shine through the ceiling and brighten up the entire temple. But what was most impressive about the temple was what the sunlight shined upon. In 435 BCE, the Greek sculptor Phidias got to work on one of the great wonders of the ancient world. He carefully placed ivory plates, gold panels, and precious stones on a wooden frame until his masterpiece slowly came together. And people from all over the world came to witness his artwork, the Statue of Zeus. The statue took up half the width of an aisle and stood 41 feet tall. But the sculptor wanted to emphasize how large Zeus was, so he made the statue of him sitting on a decorative throne. This way an onlooker could see that if Zeus stood up from his chair, he'd be so tall that he would destroy the tiled roof above him. They also crowned the statue with a sculpted wreath of olive branches, and he wore a robe made from glass and carved with animals and lilies staff. In his right hand, he held a small statue of the goddess of victory, Nike. And in his other hand, he held a staff. Next to the base of his staff stood a giant eagle with its wings spread. 
To preserve the statue, they constantly coated it with water mixed with olive oil. And on the floor in front of the statue, there was a large pool of olive oil, which also acted as a reflecting pool. When they asked the sculptor what inspired him, they thought he had either climbed Mount Olympus to see Zeus, or maybe Zeus came down to greet him. But Phidias said that he was inspired by a passage in Homer's Iliad. He spoke, the son of Kronos, and nodded his head with dark brows, and the immortality anointed hair of the great god swept from his divine head, and all of Olympus was shaken. But unfortunately, the greatness of the statue wouldn't last. In 391 CE, the Christian Roman emperor banned pagan cults and closed all of the Greek temples. After this, no one knows exactly what happened to the statue. Some think it might have been lost when the temple was set on fire in 425 CE. Others think it might have been dismantled before this. Even though it's gone now and most of the temple is in ruins, you imagine the beautiful temple that once stood before you. You try to imagine the pillars, the ceiling, and the great statue. And after taking it all in, you head back through Olympia wondering what this place looked like in its golden age. As you head towards the road, you pass by several other buildings that have all collapsed, and you realize that each one of these had its own history of workers, materials, and works of art, and you wonder what relics, statues, and trinkets have been lost through the passage of time. Leaving the ancient land of Olympus behind you, the modern country emerges. Power lines hang overhead and asphalt covers the road. You head towards the nearest coast and pass by courtyards and open ranges of trees protected by low wire fences. As you approach the coast, small houses appear with yards filled with short trees and small sedans. Electrical wires fill the blue skies above you and the narrow roads take you towards the water. A rocky beach surrounded by boulders meets the calm water and you board a small boat and head into the cold Mediterranean Sea. You hug the shoreline to the south, and as the distance between you and the land grows, the rolling hills sprinkled with trees become a blob of green, surrounded by dark blue waters. As the boat cruises over each wave, a gentle mist of water cascades over the boat and falls on your shoulders. And the sound of birds looking for fish fills the skies. Small islands appear on the distant horizon, and all seems quiet until you meet the Saronic Gulf. Large boats pass by each other along the routes, and as more boats appear in the waters around you, you realize you must be near a busy city. But before the cradle of civilization completely takes over, you see a large gray creature surge from the water's blue surface. About 100 feet from the boat, a dolphin makes itself known with a splash in the water. Found all over the world, these friendly dolphins live in coastal waters and the deep sea but they prefer surface temperatures more than 50 degrees Fahrenheit, so the water they tend to avoid is in the freezing Arctic. As you look down into the water beside the boat, the dolphin swims up towards the rear and looks right at you. The dolphins normally travel around 6 miles per hour, but they can reach speeds of nearly 30 if they need to catch food or just follow a friendly boat. You see the dolphin roll and turn into the boat's wake as it maintains its speed and a few other dolphins appear from the deep sea to tag along. Sometimes they can travel 150 to 200 miles within two days, 
They usually move as a herd and fall to seasonal changes in the fish population, or they follow one another to socialize. As they get close to the boat, you can see how small they really are. You imagine they would be bigger, but they're only six or seven feet long. Small triangular dorsal fins break through the water's surface as they plunge up and down behind the boat. And when they leap from the water, you can see their long beaks jutting from their heads. Two small eyes look out from either side. The closer they get, the more you notice how unique their colors are. From a distance, they only look like two shades of gray. But here, you notice the dark brown backs, and their eyes are encircled with black markings that stretch to the beak. When they jump from the water, they show their gray underbellies. And on their sides, they have crisscross patterns, which give them a unique look. The crisscross looks like a gray and tan hourglass dividing the top and bottom colors. As you move towards the back of the boat, you're surprised at how friendly they are. As social creatures, they don't like spending time alone. They travel together, eat together, and even swim toward the surface to breathe together. And boy, do they love to play. So it's no wonder why they follow the wake of your boat. But eventually the fun ends and they return to the depths of the Mediterranean. Here they'll communicate with each other using two different voices. One voice is used for navigation and location, and the other is used for social interaction. If you were underwater with them, you could hear the whistle-like pulsing sounds that they use to communicate, and the variations in volume, speed, and pitch convey different messages. As they disappear into the dark blue waters, fishing ships pass you by. If they were smart, they would follow the sightings of the dolphins, since they know where the fish are. But they must be careful not to entangle the dolphins in their nets. Dolphins like these face many obstacles during their life at sea. And aside from sharks and killer whales, the dolphins try to avoid human interference. Over the years, many dolphins have been exploited by amusement parks entangled in fishing nets and hunted. Most of these problems can be avoided, but water pollution invading their habitats is one of the biggest problems. Luckily, over time, laws have been passed to protect these dolphins. And although pollution still harms these creatures all over the world, conservation efforts are still active today. As the shape of the dolphin fades away into the water, you look towards the front of the boat. You hadn't noticed how close you were to your next destination. Above the reflective gulf, you see angled white buildings covering the slopes above the distant shoreline. The green trees and the white rocks fill in the gaps between the buildings. The closer you get, the splotches of red and yellow walls scatter along the city. You slowly approach the city of Athens, one of the oldest cities on the entire planet. Its recorded history has spanned over 3,400 years and its mythological origins span even farther back. The city is a center for arts, education, and philosophy, where the great minds of Plato and Aristotle wandered the streets. It was a haven where people had time for thought outside of their day-to-day -day labor, and it was given the names the Cradle of Western Civilization and the Birthplace of Democracy. Its cultural and political impacts swept through most of Europe, especially ancient Rome, and its effects made Athens an undeniable force throughout history. Ancient monuments still cover the city, and today they're still considered works of art. 
as you travel deep into its curving streets. One of the largest Greek temples towers above the city, the Parthenon. The temple sits on rocky outcroppings above the city, known as the Acropolis of Athens, an ancient citadel. Some of its walls have crumbled over years of erosion and ancient warfare, but many have survived for millenniums, and they stand tall in the glimmering sun. As the legend goes, this area was first built up by the first Athenian king known as Kekropa. He was a mythical king born from the earth itself, and as he escaped the clutches of dirt and stone, his top half was shaped like a man, while his bottom half was a serpent. He went on to rule Athens for 50 years, and during his reign, the Greek gods claimed certain areas of the land. It was mostly trees, rocks, and wildlife at the time. But as a great city was about to take its place, the gods wanted to make their mark. So Athena, the Greek goddess most known for wisdom, handicraft, and warfare, wanted the land of Athens, but not without a fight. She would have to win a competition against Poseidon, and Kekropa would be the judge. The two gods raced towards the Acropolis, but Poseidon was the first to reach the top. He took out his trident and plunged it into the earth. A deep well was created where he struck, and the deep well still exists today inside one of the temples. Meanwhile, Athena arrived at the top not far behind, and she gracefully planted an olive tree in the soil. And from this, she claimed the land, winning the competition. Poseidon flooded the nearby lands in anger and returned to the sea. According to Greek mythology, this is how Athens first came to be. And not long after, they began construction on the temples. But they wouldn't survive long. In 480 BCE, the Acropolis of Athens lay in ruins. The Persians had destroyed almost everything, but it was within these ruins where the greatest temples of the Greek world would rise and a golden age would begin. Built almost 2,500 years ago, the Parthenon stands as a large rectangular temple. Its advanced archaeological details still amaze us today, and it was built in part by Phidias, the same man who constructed the great statue of Zeus. The temple only took about 15 years to build. Its sides are held up by massive marble columns Aside from its wooden roof, the entire temple was made from marble. Marble is still considered one of the most beautiful stones on earth, and its strength has held many of these ancient buildings up for centuries. Not only was it used for construction, it was carved into decorations as well. Along the temple aisles, incredibly detailed sculptures decorated the building. Treasures of gold and silver were once kept inside, and a massive statue of Athena was kept near its center. As the builder and his team of workers began construction on her statue, they started with a wooden frame. Similar to the statue of Zeus, she stood about 40 feet tall, filling an entire room with her presence. She was covered with marble or bronze. Around her chest, she wore animal skin lined with snakes, and in the center was an ivory amulet. Gems were placed in her eyes, giving her a mystical look. In her left hand, she held a shield and a spear, and at her feet a sacred snake nestled. Just like the statue of Zeus, she held a small statue of Nike in her right hand. Also like Zeus, almost nothing of the original statue remains. The temple was ravaged by a fire and the roof eventually collapsed. Some believe that at one point the statue was removed and sent to a different city for repair, but no one knows what happened to it. 
Only the pedestal has survived. Many other sculptures have been discovered in the temple. A sculpture of Hercules battling a giant sea monster was found, not far from a three-headed demon statue. The legend of Theseus defeating the centaurs is depicted in marble panels on the south side, and he battles the Amazons on the west side. Much of the marble artwork that surrounded the temple had once been painted with bright colors, but over time, the marble returned to its natural color as the paint wore away. But luckily, many of the sculptures survived, and the legacies of the Greek gods carry on. Without the inspiration from Greek history and mythology, many of these temples and sculptures wouldn't have been made in the first place. And from this inspiration, the backbreaking labor of construction took place. The marble had to be hauled from a quarry 10 miles away. Around 500 to 600 workers transported the materials needed, and 150 stone cutters and 50 sculptors crafted each piece of the temple. One of the stone cutters might have been Socrates, since his father was a stonemason, and he would have only been 23 years old when the temple began construction in 447 BCE. After the contributions of hundreds of workers, the Parthenon was finally completed in 438 BCE, and its marble pillars would witness thousands of years of history. In the 6th century, the temple was converted into a Christian church dedicated to the Virgin Mary. And after the Ottoman conquest in the 1400s, the temple was turned into a mosque. Throughout the years, it saw the lands of Athens switch hands while it was surrounded by warfare. And in 1687, an ammunition dump was ignited during a siege of the Acropolis. The explosion damaged the temple and the sculptures that had survived for centuries. But after everything, the Parthenon endured. It still stands today as one of the world's greatest cultural monuments. And as you circle around the temple, you notice scaffolding along the remaining pillars. Since 1975, many restoration projects have maintained the structure so it can hopefully stand for many more centuries. As you walk through the city of Athens, you wonder if wildlife can coexist here. Nearly 4 million people inhabit the area within buildings stacked between stone streets, but somewhere between the noise and clutter, flora and families of animals survive. Many live in the woods and hills maintained by the city's parks department. And wild animals have been spotted in recent years. Red foxes show up near the north end of town in courtyards and small clumps of trees, and hedgehogs gather near hills and empty fields. And of course, the common squirrel can be seen prancing near colorful gardens and climbing the bark of trees. But many more species can be seen hiding away in the small sanctuaries throughout Athens. Magpies perch themselves on telephone wires, and goldfinches nest into treetops. Dozens of different bird species can be heard chirping and singing around the city. Their songs fuse with the bustle of tourism and everyday life. Even in the city center where wildlife struggles the most to survive, wild bees build their hives in secret spots. In the high corners of walls, the buzzing of bees can be heard. If you get too close with any source of sugar, they'll come to bother you and buzz close to your ears, but it's nothing like the buzzing northeast of the temples. As you head out along the streets, you follow a connection of winding pathways. Narrow roads filled with cars lead you away from the temples, and as you step away from the historic district, you appreciate the contrast of ancient architecture set beside modern buildings. 
At first they share the same streets, blending into a pattern of new and old, until the ancient buildings all but disappear. Apartment balconies overflow with potted plants that drape over the streets, and the tightly constructed buildings give shade from the sun overhead. Around each corner, another series of streets wrap around another clump of buildings, and the streets go on like this for miles. Local shops lined with scooters gather people inside, local music plays through indoor speakers, and as soon as the clutter of the city begins to overwhelm you, the spaces in between begin to open up. Tall buildings are replaced with old trees draping over sidewalks. One-way streets open to two-lane streets, until eventually the natural valleys and forests of the land return. Paved streets turn to dirt roads and the hills begin to hide the power lines behind you. You head north on a short journey through the countryside, until you reach a great modern bridge. It takes you across the channels, and on the other side you make it to Eubea, the second largest Greek island, also known as Avia. Curving along the edge of Greece, this island might have originally been connected to the mainland, but it's believed that a great earthquake separated the two at some point. The biodiversity and temperate climate gives a healthy color to the countryside. The wind curls the top of a distant wheat field, and soon enough, as you stand on the top of a smooth hill, you hear the old familiar buzz of a bee in your ear. As you look around, you wonder where it came from, and you wonder if it's a wild bee or a honeybee from a beekeeping farm nearby. The countryside of Greece has become known for its incredible honey. Along the roads near the mountains of the Via, colorful boxes line up on the grass. Surrounded by the forest, these boxes sit patiently. At first they seem unimportant, but as you watch a beekeeper approach one of the boxes to take off the lid, the sound of buzzing fills the air. Within one of these boxes, hundreds of bees are busy at work. Their honeycombs are filled with honey. They actively crawl across the nest looking for something to do. If you're lucky, you can spot the queen bee, the biggest one of them all. She produces the offspring for the nest, and when the bees are old enough, they go out and collect pollen and water from the nearby pine forest. While doing this, they help pollinate the local flora, keeping the ecosystem healthy. And if we didn't have honeybees like this, nearly one-third of the world's food would vanish, and many believe that without bees, humans could not survive. So keeping healthy, natural honeybees safe is critical for our own survival. Unfortunately, industrial bee farms and climate change have greatly impacted the worldwide bee population over the recent years. But if consumers buy sustainable honey from ethical farms, the essential bee populations can strengthen over time. Many beekeepers in Greece have kept their long family traditions, and local farmers have tried to keep beekeeping as natural as possible. Each nest is evenly placed along the ground in the colorful boxes before you. Hundreds of bees swarm within. Although it seems random and disorganized, each bee communicates with one another, and they establish an efficient system to keep the hive going. The honey that each one produces comes from the beautiful pine forest surrounding you. It gives the honey a distinct flavor, different from the honey that comes from flower bees. These bees travel into the woods, 
and feed on microorganisms that live on these pine trees. And the honey they produce is unique to their environment. So before you leave, you're offered the crunch of a sticky honeycomb. Its flavor is sweet and delicious. And as you chew, the honeycomb turns into a soft gum that you keep between your teeth as you continue your journey across Greece. Traveling north, the paved roads only take you so far. At some point, you continue on foot through the rocky forest. Bird songs fill the air and echo between giant boulders. And along the footpath, you follow a flowing creek for some time. Thick green moss covers the trunks of trees, and the thickets of vegetation keep you on your path. Several more tiny creeks cross your path as you continue your way upwards. And your elevation slowly climbs with each step you head closer to the peak of Durfee Mountain. A dense forest of pine trees surrounds you as you make your way along the path. And beneath each footstep, you hear the crunching of brown pine needles. But the higher you hike, the fewer pine trees you see. As you enter an open clearing, the trees fade away towards the crest of the mountain. They can't survive in the higher elevation. And although your legs grow tired, the more you walk up the mountainside, you carry on. You climb as far as you can towards the mountaintop, where you decide to rest near the edge of a small cliff. You look out at the sloping mountain through a clearing in the vegetation. Its highest points are covered in white snow, and in other parts, its bare rock sticks out in solid gray sheets. Of all the temples you've seen today, this one here is just as majestic as the rest. Naturally built over thousands of years, Its construction is a testament to the strength of Mother Nature. She has sculpted this mountain in her own image. Although she might not be a Greek god, she seems to dominate the surrounding lands of Greece. You sit against the trunk of a nearby fallen tree, and you use your time to pay respects to the beautiful land surrounding you. Off in the distant clouds, you see lightning strike a far-off land and the roll of thunder slowly greets you. Zeus reminds you of his power. You press the back of your head into the soft moss that grows on the tree, a natural pillow that holds the weight of your heavy head. And as you close your eyes, you dream of Greek gods racing across the land, throwing tridents, casting lightning, and climbing mountains. With that, that wraps up today's episode of Planet Sleep. I hope you enjoyed your most relaxing tour through the ancient temples of Greece. And hopefully, you even learned a thing or two. At this point, I hope you've drifted off into a restful slumber. And you awake feeling refreshed and ready for what's next. I'm your host, Josh. And I'll see you next time. Until then, sleep easy, my friends. Good night.